Um, if you do have a prayer card, though, we'll uh, pick those up at this time if you want to, uh, to fill it out. And uh, if you have filled it out, there'll be another opportunity at the, at the end. Uh, we do encourage you, where possible, that you um, get those in early so that the, the elder that uh, has the shepherd's blessing has a more opportunity to get what uh, you've written correct. <laughs> and uh, that... Uh, is always valuable. I uh, hope everybody had a uh, good Thanksgiving and uh, uh, enjoyed it and, and felt valued as uh, you got with loved ones. Uh, with this today, um, we will continue our you know, post-Thanksgiving Lawson Road tradition of instead of coffee and donuts after worship, we'll do, be doing laps of the, uh, the building. So uh, <laughs> if you want to join us for that, um, <clears throat> no, not really. But uh, it's an option. Uh, I do want to just uh, thank, I'm not sure, were we going to, somebody else going to announce at the end the amount for the food shelf or... No, nope. All right, I don't want to step on anyone's toes there. So uh, we've been collecting for the Thanksgiving baskets for the for the food shelf, and the amount that that came in over the last few weeks, uh, we got a, hit a total of nine hundred thirty dollars. So uh, for I haven't done the math to figure out how many meals that that is, but uh, they vary from. Uh, you know, $20, I think, for a single person, all the way up to like $60 for a larger family. So uh, there, there is no, no set amount there, but uh, uh, $930. So thank you to, to everyone who has not only contributed to the Thanksgiving collection, but also uh, to the, the various other collections that we've had going on over the last uh, couple of months, it seems, with the missions, the Magi, and... Um, I may be missing something there, but uh, I'll walk for water before that. So uh, it, it's, it's been a season of generosity, and, uh, and, and we appreciate everybody uh, being involved in that. All right, uh, I do not have any slides today beyond that one that's on the screen. Uh, so you'll have to have, to have your Bibles uh, open and, uh, and working, um, whether that's paper or online. I want to, although our, our text is in Galatians and uh, was just read for us, Galatians chapter 5, I want to begin today by reading from the Gospel of John and uh, John chapter 8. And I'm reading here from verse 31. Um, Through verse 38. John chapter 8, starting in verse 31. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants, have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? Jesus replied, Very truly, I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. 
Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are Abraham's descendants, yet you are looking for a way to kill me because you have no room for my word. I am telling you that I have seen and that I have seen in the Father's presence, and you are doing what you have heard from your father. One of the things that I think is really, I think is really interesting here is just sort of the, the, the topic. The topic is about being descendants of Abraham. Right? Like what he says, what does it mean to be a disciple? If you want to follow me, if you want to be my disciple, what does Jesus say to do? Hold to my teaching. And then when you hold to my teaching, that teaching, that truth will set you free. Okay? Um, not just any truth, right? I know it's out there. We say that a lot, right? The truth will set you free. You ever watched a, a cop show? You know, and they're interviewing the suspect and they tell the suspect, the truth will set you free now. <laughs> and uh, that doesn't usually get anywhere. But <clears throat> for, uh, for Jesus, he's saying, no, my truth, my teaching will give you freedom. Now, it's interesting the way that these, this, uh, Jew, this Jewish audience responds. They say, what are you talking about? We've never been slaves of anyone. And it's like, okay, let's start with the Philistines, the Egyptians, the Philistines, the Amorites, the Amalekites. You know, we could go to the Hittites. We could go to, uh, now you're being off to Babylon. You've got the Babylonians. You've got the Assyrians. You've got the Persians. You've had the Greeks. And now you've got the Romans who are sort of supervising you and overseeing you. And, uh, and so they're like, no, we've never been slaves of anyone. Like sometimes we have this way of uh, just interpreting our lives, don't we? <laughs> it's like, oh yeah, I know they're the government, but I'm my own man. I'm not, my, I'm not a slave to anyone. Perhaps that's what they were thinking. I don't know. But, but they're, they're having this argument. How can you say that we're going to be set free? How can you say that we're going to be set free? Jesus responds and he says, I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. All right? and, and so here we have this... Um, New definition, if you will, that we all fall under, that we're all enslaved to something. It's interesting, I think, whenever <laughs> I find myself in this situation of I have to, I'm reading scripture and I have to talk about slaves and, and masters, and it's like we live in a culture where it's like that's uncomfortable for us to talk about, right? And, and yet for them it was just such a part of life. And, and that's why they, they talk about it as much and as freely as they did. And yet for us, this biblical language perhaps makes you sort of feel a little uneasy as we talk about being slaves. But, but here he's not talking about physical liberty, but about uh, what are the things that control us? What controls us? And he says, we've all at different points in our lives being controlled by sin. And, and so Jesus then has this promise, if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. And what does that word indeed do? 
It, it, it adds a point of emphasis, doesn't it? It, it? It's like you'll be truly free. You'll be totally free. You'll be absolutely free. You'll be free indeed. Right? Nothing can control you. No one can control you because the Son has given you freedom. No one can take that away from you. And, and so... If the Son sets us free from sin, we're free absolutely. Free totally. We're free indeed. This promise of freedom then becomes sort of the equivalent of the gospel, doesn't it? It's a summary of what's the gospel. What, what is the gospel? The gospel is a promise that we can be free from the slavery of sin. Totally free from the slavery of sin. And, and, and if Jesus does it, there's no question about that. If the Son of God does it, there is no question that that has been effective, that that has taken place. And so freedom, is at the, this idea of freedom is at the core of our, um, our faith. It's interesting that Jesus describes this in relational terms. He talks about it as being in a family, right? And, and so you've got the, the person who's enslaved, you have the son, and it's the son. And he, so what he's really saying is that I'm going to free you and then now you get to become part of the family. And we've seen that in the book, book of Galatians as we've gone through about this idea of adoption, right? And so there's lots of different layers to it, but part of that idea of adoption is not only that we get to inherit the benefits uh, of, of God, the benefits that God promises his children. Not only do we have the relationship with a father that we didn't have before, but we also get to experience the freedom that comes with being a child rather than a servant. Um, and, and so we see this distinction also made here by Jesus in this passage. And so, Jesus, when he comes in the manger, is not just God loosening his self-imposed shackles and breaking into our world in a new way. But God is longing for us to experience the same freedom that he experiences. And so I want us to have this picture of this, this summary statement, if you will, of G, from Jesus of what the, the gospel is. If you want to be my disciple, if you want to follow me, then you follow my teachings and that will set you free. And, and the freedom is not just intellectual freedom. It's not just you know, freedom to travel where you want. It's freedom from the effects of sin, and that is going to be absolute. I want to come back now to Galatians. Because I want us to see that as Paul is going to talk about freedom, that he's building on what Jesus has already taught. Right? He's not just plucking this idea out of thin air. He's building on what Jesus has already taught 
In Galatians chapter 5 and verse 1, we read there, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. So as we've traveled through the book of Galatians, we've seen Paul teach and, and repeat the need for the Gentile Christians not to get dragged into Judaism. Okay? Not to get dragged into the Mosaic law. He's, in fact, been arguing strongly uh, that they have freedom from the Mosaic law. He's, he's laid out lots of biblical arguments but at the end of the day, the reason this is so important, it's so we can experience freedom in Christ. You see, freedom becomes the goal, not the, not the means to the end. Freedom here is the end. Right? It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. It, it, we wouldn't usually talk like that, would we? So we have to, what's he saying? What's, what's he on about? Um, and, and so what he's saying is, Christ has set you free. Why has he set you free? He could have, if you imagine, prisoners of war, right? And, and they are set free. They're released. Why are they released? Maybe so that they can get back in the battle, Right? Yeah, I mean, they want to be out of, they want to be rescued, they want to be released from where they are, but there's a part of it, maybe they want to be back in the battle. Maybe um, if it's somebody who's been in prison, they've served their sentence, why are they released? Just because their time's up. Right? They're released maybe in a hope that they've reformed, maybe in a hope that they can be reintegrated into society and be a productive member, but, but it's mostly to do just because their time's up. Date on a calendar. And, and so what is it that, that why has Jesus given us freedom? Why has he released us, rescued us? And the answer is it is for freedom. It, it's so that we experience freedom. It's not so that we go from one master to another master. It is so that we get freedom, that he frees us. Okay? And, and so in some sense it might seem, well, that's a bit dumb. Right? I get paid so that I have money. Right? It's kind of the same, same thing. But, but we don't really say that. We get paid so that we can buy vegetables, buy food. We get paid so we can buy gifts at Christmas. We get paid so we can put gas in the car. We get paid so that we can... You see, the, the money has a purpose for an end. But here, Paul says, no, Christ has set us free... So that we can have freedom. Right? And, and that's it. Freedom in and of itself is this wonderful gift that God gives us. And um, in the book of Galatians, Paul has a fairly specific meaning in mind. He's writing to Gentile Christians and saying, no, you don't be, don't be dragged back into Judaism. Right? Christ has set you free from that and joy and appreciate and value that freedom. Okay? Now they were still serving the Romans. 
They still paid taxes. <laughs> they, they still complained about the roads and where their tax money went. You know? But they were experiencing freedom in Christ from those restrictions. They did not need to be Jews in order to be Christians. Now freedom, I think, though, can be scary for some of us. You say, how's that? I, I think freedom can be scary because it sounds a lot like chaos. Some of us like being told what to do. Okay. And, and you go, no, don't tell me what to do. Nobody tells me what to do. Right? But being told what to do provides order. Right? It, it, it provides organization. Can you imagine? Um, I, I've never bought anything at Ikea, but I've bought other bits of furniture that need to be assembled. Okay? Can you imagine getting all the parts in this box, and then there's a slip of paper that says, you're free to assemble this how you like. Okay? And some of us might go, oh, this is going to be fabulous. And others of us are going, what's the right way of doing this? Is there a picture? Did you throw the picture out? Let me see. I've got to be, what's the, yeah. And then when it doesn't work the way we want it to work, then we complain about the manufacturer and the manufacturer's, no, yeah, that was your freedom. Okay. You see, we like instructions at times. We, we recognize that our society needs instructions. Right? When you were coming to, wor to worship today, did everybody drive on the same side of the road? Right? Were you dodging oncoming traffic? No, because there was a rule. And we like to be told what to do. If I suddenly decide to drive on the Australian side of the road and go, hey, freedom, baby. Right? Somebody's going to come along and say, no, that doesn't work. This is what you need to do. And, and so we, we need these limits. That's why freedom can sound scary, can sound chaotic, can sound like a mess. Because we, we imagine that, well, if, if we have freedom, who's going to make the rules? <laughs> no one. Right? It's freedom. I'm like, but, 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 but we need some rules. And it can get, get hard. I think um, the reason that we have this thought is that we confuse the idea of freedom with the concept of individualism. We hear about freedom and we get this glint in our eyes and, and, and we hear in our minds what we hear is this voice that says, I can do whatever I want. Right? I have freedom. And, and so we, we equate Freedom with, I can do whatever I want. But Paul has a different understanding of freedom in mind. When Paul talks about freedom, he's talking about the importance of unity, which is kind of the opposite of individualism. Right? And, and it's, I think, an unnatural connection for us to make in many ways. But if we look back at chapter 3 uh, of, of Galatians and just there, verse 26 uh, and following, and this is familiar, I think, to many of us. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God 
through faith, right? Notice this idea. In Christ, you're all children of faith. He's talking about how inclusive this is. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Okay, so what he's really saying is when he's saying there's this freedom, it's the Gentile Christians have a freedom from their idol worship and from the pagan culture. The Jewish Christians have freedom from the um, Mosaic law, from the Jewish boundary markers. Okay, and together, in they, they share this freedom in Christ that brings them together. Okay? That they are all children of God, regardless of their, their backgrounds. And so, freedom here isn't individualistic. Rather, it's unifying. Okay? Because we come together in Christ, free of the things that used to hold us captive, used to control us. Um, I wonder if perhaps Dr. Martin Luther King didn't have this idea of freedom and perhaps drawn from Galatians or, or other places in Scripture, but when, when he made his I Have a Dream speech, and, and probably many of you know this better than I do, and I'm not going to try and capture his voice, but he ends that speech by saying, from every mountainside... Let freedom ring. But then he continues. When this happens, okay, what is the result of freedom? When this happens, when we allow freedom ring, and when we let it ring from every village and every hamlet, from every state and every city, we will be able to speed up that day when all of God's children, black men and white men, Jews and Gentiles, Protestants and Catholics, will be able to join hands and sing in the words of the old Negro spiritual, free at last, free at last, thank God Almighty, we are free at last. You see, what he says is when freedom is granted, it unifies. It brings people together. It, 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 granting freedom, ringing freedom from the mountaintops, whether it be in New York or wherever it might be, Kentucky or Mississippi. When freedom rings, then God's children can come together Regardless of background, regardless of ethnicity, regardless of gender, regardless of, of whatever, can come together and can be united in that freedom. And he says, thank God. And so he, he recognizes that God, we're God's children. And that is what unifies. That is what brings together when we experience that freedom you see, freedom is not just freedom to do what I want. Freedom is freedom to serve, freedom to, to live the way that God wants us to live because we don't have sin holding us back. And so that's in chapter 5 and verse 1. And then we, Paul continues down through that paragraph and he talks about, uh, goes back to talking again about um, circumcision 
and, and the issues that he's been dealing with up to this point. But he then concludes with this summary statement in verse 6. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. So I want us to think for a moment, we have this picture of freedom unifying. Freedom in Christ unifying. How are we doing at that? How are we doing at that? How are we doing at that at Lawson Road? How are we doing at that in Rochester? How are we doing at that with our mission works in other places? How are we doing at that just with other churches in other places around the country, around the globe? How are the Christians, are the children of God doing at the freedom creating unity? Because I think what often happens is that we find ways of replacing one law with another. Paul says the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. You see, Paul isn't writing this letter to the churches in Galatia to win an argument. Right? This isn't a debate, you know, about winning an argument. He's writing this letter firstly to defend Jesus. He says, if we have to add anything to Jesus, then we say that what Jesus did on the cross and in the empty tomb is not enough. Right? The, 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 nice try, Jesus, but we also need this other thing. Okay? And, and so he's defending Jesus as being enough. Whatever Jesus did is enough. And, and so that is his first purpose in writing this letter. But secondly, Paul wants the church to be united. He's really making the point there shouldn't be Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians. Right? Um, I, I'm not saying I don't see color or I don't see ethnicity, but he's saying we shouldn't be defining the church in that way. He wants the church without infighting, without disputes, without division, whatever lines they may be drawn upon. Because the basis for the church's unity, and we've seen this throughout this letter, is found in the common faith, in the common spirit, and in the common love that we have received from God in Christ. I wonder how many of our disputes, how many of our disagreements could be resolved by coming to the end of a conversation and summarizing. Well, that was interesting. But the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Right? How, how would that change the, the feeling in the room? Could we still be upset that someone attends a community church instead of a church of Christ if the only thing that matters is faith expressing itself through love? Could we, could we still complain about the style of songs a, a church uses in worship if the only thing that matters is faith expressing itself through love? Could we still disfellowship each other because we don't see Bible classes in the Bible if the only thing that matters is faith expressing itself through love? 
Could, I, I know churches, that uh, an increasing number of churches of Christ even that, that have communion by having tables set up around the, the auditorium. And, and when it's time, people get up and they walk over to those tables and they, they may even talk a little bit to each other and pray there at, at each table and, uh, and take communion and then come back to their seat. Uh, I know some churches that, that have communion as part of a meal uh, each week and so they have a, a meal and then they the communion is part of of that um, there, there's perhaps you know d- debates over the years about whether you have one cup or lots of little cups or whether you have disposable cups um, you know there's there's lots of ways that we can have disputes and in fact we can designate a church by saying oh that's a church that does communion in this way you may or may not want to go there And how about if we finish those conversations by saying, but the only thing that matters is faith expressing itself through love. You see, we tend not to evaluate the churches by saying, what's their faith like? How is their faith expressed? Is their demeanor, is their attitude towards one another loving? Is the freedom that we have something that allows us to tolerate people doing things differently or do we use that freedom to say the way that we do it is the right way of doing it because we may not have to worry about the role of circumcision in the church or whether we need to first become a Jew in order to become a Christian those specifics are not our problem but we certainly face the temptation to create new laws to replace the old laws. I recall that soon after I arrived in the United States, I was working part-time as a, as a youth minister, and so I took the kids to a nearby uh, youth rally. I, I didn't know my way around. This was down in Memphis. There's like, I don't know, 100,000 churches down there, give or take. And, um, and I, I, so we just got this flyer for this youth rally, so I took some teens and off we went. And uh, we get there and, and one of the sessions, you know, they break up into different sessions. At one point, they have this session. And you think, okay, we've got this big group of teens together. What do we need to talk to them about? What do we need to teach them about, about Jesus? And, um, and one of the sessions focused entirely on the idea on, on relationships and modesty. And the only thing I remember from that youth rally is that this presentation went to great lengths to define the appropriate length of a girl's skirt. Should it be an inch here, an inch above, or an inch below the knee? Didn't seem to be any consideration for trousers. It was just skirts. And so they were making rules. They're including and excluding because they're saying this is the standard, right? This is what is Christian. Rather than encouraging the girls to to value the beauty of a godly heart, rather than making the room full of teen boys responsible for the purity of their own thoughts, the speaker chose to legislate about the biblical length of a skirt. Now if we'd taken a poll on the way out and we said, what do you think? Is it great to have freedom in Christ? 
How would those teens have responded? Right? Because they weren't given any. And so often, instead of accepting the freedom that Christ offers, we translate it as, don't tell me what to do. Right? There's two ways we go. One is, oh, we get to make the rules. <laughs> right? And the other is, don't tell me what to do. We try to have our cake, our turkey, and eat it too. When we talk about freedom, we need to consider not only what we're freed from, because I think that's, that's the easy part, right? We can sit down and we go, well, here's what I've been freed from. I've been freed from uh, sin. I've been freed from pain. I've been freed from um, destructive habits. I've been freed from toxic relationships. I've been freed from whatever. Okay, and we can say, yeah, God has worked in me and brought me to this better place. But the other part of the question is, what are we freed for? What are we freed for? Because when we saw last week the comparison between the, the Christians and their situation with, with God bringing Israel out of Egypt, God freed Israel from Egyptian slavery. Right? He brought them out of slavery. He freed them. It, it's at the core of the biblical story. And, but he didn't just free them from. Right? I, I think they were worried. I think that's why they complained so much. They're out there in the wilderness and they're going, well, this is great. We've got freedom. And we've got dust. And we've got dirt. And we've got sore feet. Freedom is wonderful. Let's go back to Egypt. Right? Because all they had a sense of is what they were freed from. They didn't have the vision of what they had been freed for. Right? They get to the edge of the promised land and they look at it and they go, oh, this ain't so great. There's giants, there's big cities, we're going to have to work, we're going to have to fight to take this land. No, let's, we're, we're good. But there were some that captured the vision of what they'd been freed for. And they said, look at this land. Look how fertile it is. Look at the, the grapes. Look at the, the rivers. Look at the, you know, what's available to us. And God has promised that it's ours. Because they were not just freed from, they were freed for. And so they, wanted, they moved eventually, they moved forward. But they weren't just moved forward and given a land and inheritance. They were also given that inheritance because they were God's children. God had made a covenant with them. They were his family. He was their father. And then because of that, they were his children. They had their inheritance. They were then to be a light to the nations. That was their freedom. You see, freedom comes with responsibility. And that's what, at different points, they, they didn't appreciate the freedom. They didn't appreciate the responsibility. But, but all of those go together. Because freedom is found in faith in Jesus. As we experience his love. And as we pass that love onto others. Of course, there are still rules, right? Because freedom doesn't mean there are no rules. But, but the rules are not arbitrary. The rules reflect the character of God. And as we want to be like God, then those rules become more boundaries that protect us than rules that oppress us. But even so, we face the choice of are we going to focus on our guilt or on the grace? Are we going to focus on the sin 
or on the Savior? Are we going to focus on the rules or on the rescue? That's our choice. Where are we looking? Are we looking at what we're freed from or do we have hope of what we're freed for? And so I think it's significant that just in verse um, verse 4, you who are trying to be justified, trying to be made children of God by the law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. You see, that's where we've been saved from. This is what we've been saved for. Relationship with God. Being made right with God. Making, participating in making creation right and the way it was always intended. You see, it's Jesus' death and resurrection that defeat the slave master, sin, and open the door for us to enter the family of God. I want to close just by reading Colossians chapter 2. And uh, just a couple of verses there. Colossians chapter 2. I'm going to read uh, starting in verse... 15. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. In reality, Uh, The reality, however, is found in Christ. Do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you. Such a person also goes into great detail about what they have seen. They are puffed up with idle notions by their unspiritual mind. They have lost connection with the head from whom the whole body, supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God causes it to grow. Since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of this world, Why, as though you still belong to the world, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These rules, which have to do with things that are all destined to perish with use, are based on merely human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. In Colossians, Paul is dealing with a completely different issue, right? It's nothing to do with Jews and do I need to become a Jew to become a Christian and all that sort of thing. But I want you just to, to notice that while the problem is different, how similar the real problem is. Um... And so in verse 8, I know we didn't read that, but in verse 8 of of Colossians 2, it says, See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of the world, rather than on Christ. Writing to Christians, Paul can say, you have freedom in Galatians, right? You should be living in it. He's at a loss. We saw in growth group last week, he's at a loss to to say, why are you going back to it? He says, why are you giving up on the freedom? And and here in Colossians, different issues, but the, the same result, 
that there are things out there and ways of us thinking that can take us captive. Right? That we can be taken captive. That we can give up our freedom. Whether it be to return to, to sort of uh, Old Testament uh, law and teachings. Or whether it be hollow and deceptive philosophy. Okay? Progressive, you know, new, new ways of thinking out there that depend on, on human tradition. Don't allow yourself to be taken captive when Christ has given you freedom. And then in verse 23, he finishes that by saying, these regulations, right, these laws that we like to make to replace the laws that Christ has given us freedom from, he says they have an appearance of wisdom, right? Is there wisdom in talking about modesty and the relationships between boys and teenage boys and girls and and how they conduct themselves? Yes, there's wisdom in that, isn't there? Right? But how about the regulations? Do the regulations have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence? Because we often try to make rules for places where our hearts aren't equipped to uh, handle the situation. And rules, they're not effective, really. That's why, you know, God gives rules, but he gives ways of living. But what he really wants is our hearts. He wants circumcision, not of our flesh, but of our hearts. He wants our hearts given to God. Right? He gives us his spirit within us. We saw last week, at, he, again in growth group, he gave at Sinai, right? He gave the law after granting the, the Jews, Israelites freedom. And for Christians, he gives the spirit at Pentecost. See that no one takes you captive. If Christ makes you free, you are free indeed. Let's make sure that that freedom becomes a tool of unifying us, not creating further divisions.